All right, if you have uh, your Bible, if you would turn with me, please, to the book of Romans, <coughs> chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. We continue our study in this chapter. We've been here for a number of weeks, and um, most recently we dealt with the section that uh, touches on uh, the gifts that the Lord gives to his people and how we are to think about them and uh, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So there's a a call for humility and a call to take what the Lord has given us and in a sense not worry about what he's given someone else and just use uh, what the Lord has given to us. And uh, so that uh, section ended at verse 8. So what I would like to do is uh, just to set the stage for us is I'm going to go ahead and read the whole chapter. Uh, We won't cover uh, from verses 9 to the end of the chapter today, but I want to just set it before us as a unit, and then uh, we'll begin our study at verse 9. So this earnest appeal, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or put to the test in the laboratory of life, is how I illustrated it, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing, according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches on teaching, he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity or generosity, he that rules with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. 
Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So that brings us to the end of the chapter. And as I mentioned, we will begin our study here at verse 9. So again, the setting for these verses is... is uh, this chapter, which has started with this earnest appeal, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to his brethren. So that is, uh, he's writing to those who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we commented on from our hymn writer, John Newton, uh, heard the gospel. They've responded uh, by repenting of their sin and believing on the promise of God that if they call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, they would be saved. So it says God, the Bible uses the language of God extending a gift. And you don't have to work for that gift. If you had to work for it, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be wages. So it's a gift, something that we are uh, able to take by faith. Uh, We believe the promise of God. And so uh, in that way, even as verse 1 points out, the reference to the mercies of God. Uh, There is not a one of us that deserve eternal life. There's not a one that deserves for our sins to be forgiven. But God is willing to do it. And that's his mercy. right? He would be merciful to you, a sinner. He is merciful to any who could call upon him. And so Paul is writing to those who are beneficiaries of the mercies of God. They are his brethren. They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are Christians. And uh, so really the the entirety of the chapter and the uh, statements that are made, the instruction, the commands, the directions for the living of life are intended for people who know the Lord as their Savior. And of course the Bible in other places testifies that God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who gives us eternal life as we respond to the gospel in faith. And God, the Holy Spirit, uh, dwells within us and ministers within us and brings about the transformation that is alluded to in verse 2, where we are not any longer conformed to this world, But we are transformed. We are changed. And the change is that as the world is in rebellion to the will of God, the believer 
is in submission to the will of God. Right? The believer is obeying those instructions from God as he has revealed his will. And of course, it's the pages of scripture, pages like Romans chapter 12 that testify to us, this is the will of God. This is what pleases him. This is how he wants you to live. He doesn't want you to, to uh, take vengeance yourself. He doesn't want you to, um, uh, sorry, he does want you to be kindly affectioned one to another and so on, right? This is the will of God. And so <clears throat> to take a human being from what he used to be, in rebellion against God to what God wants him to be, and that is submitted to his will, or the other phrase that we use is that we would be like Christ in his righteousness. Because, as I pointed out, again, commenting on John Newton's hymn, the Lord Jesus never once disobeyed. That's where God wants to bring us. We're not there yet. We're a work in progress. Every believer is yet a work in progress. We haven't arrived, but we're heading there. And that's the wonderful transformation, right? Day by day, you know, challenge by challenge, uh, the Lord working in our heart, the Lord teaching us through sermons like this, through our own personal Bible reading, through the word of a friend that says, you know, have you ever thought, yeah, about what you're doing and pointed you to scripture, whatever it is, right? The Lord uses all of these means uh, to bring us forward in our walk with him. And so uh, this is the uh, appeal that Paul extends to his fellow believers. And uh, again, the picture is that of a sacrifice. A sacrifice is offered in worship. And so we are to come with ourselves, Right. Our bodies, well, you can't separate anything of you from your body, right? So when he says you present your bodies, it's all of you, right? So we present our entire selves as an act of worship to the God who has saved us, right? And the intent is that the living of our lives now is lived by God's grace in submission to his will. And uh, verse 2, that idea of um, proving the will of God. It's, and I use that illustration of uh, chemistry classroom, right? So in the classroom part, there's, you, you're gaining the knowledge. You're told what the will of God is, but there's the lab part, right? So here's classroom time. Here's laboratory time. And in the lab, you actually test out what you're taught in the classroom. And so that's the picture here of this living sacrifice. It's that my life would put to the test the will of God as in, I'm going to try it, right? I'm going to actually obey, right? And what we find then in doing that is that that will is good. And that it is pleasing. And that it is perfect. You can't improve on God's counsel. right? He's telling you the best way to live. And uh, that's the idea here. So following that was the testimony about using spiritual gifts. And of course, that's part of our ministry one to another. A very important part. Uh, God intends that 
his people gather together, and in their gathering together, they give. They give to one another. And again, I'm not talking just about financial giving, but, but it's that exercising of our gifts, right? The, the contribution that we make, right, to the spiritual well-being of one another. Uh, so as we come here today, our intent should not so much be what I can get, but what I can give. Right? And we should be mindful and alert for opportunities uh, to minister to one another. <clears throat> and that ministry doesn't have to be complicated. It could just be a smile and a hello. Right? Uh, you know, again, it's just that, that sharing of life one with another, encouraging one another, and uh, using our gifts as God directs and gives opportunity. And then we follow with a statement in verse 9 that in a sense is a, a heading, a title uh, for everything that follows. And that statement is, let love be without dissimulation. Now that word dissimulation is one that I never use. I don't know about you. Um, it, it is an accurate word, but it's just a word that we don't commonly use. It, it means uh, hypocrisy, right? A false appearance. Okay, so, so we are to let our love be without hypocrisy. Uh, it is to be genuine and sincere. It is to be lacking in pretense or show. Right? Uh, that's the idea here. So, so that this love that we are to uh, demonstrate, that it, that it is actually the real thing, and that it's not just this external facade, Right, like a mask that in the old days an, a, a play actor would would hold up over their face, right? Uh, that puts on a false front. Okay, that's not what our love is supposed to be, right? It is supposed to be true, genuine, from the heart. Now, what is interesting is. <clears throat> What you find in the scripture is that love very much is something that is looking outside of oneself. Right? And so we are to love God. Right? That's the first of all the commandments. And so what that is, is an eye to God and what pleases God. Right? And so I'm going to endeavor to live my life the way he wants. And then the second great commandment is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And again, the idea would be that I would be looking outside of myself and I would be looking to the people around me and you know, being aware of what their needs are and is there a way that I can help meet those needs and serve them and minister to them. 
This is something that we do not do well by nature. We tend to be selfish. We tend to be centered on ourselves. And what's interesting, the Bible speaks of the fact that even sinners love those that love them. Right? So in other words, when when the kindness and the, oh, here's some cookies, that's kindness, okay? Um, you know, when when the kindness is reciprocated, we're happy to show the kindness, right? You know, we, we don't mind showing kindness when we know that that person's going to show kindness back, right? And what the Bible is suggesting is that that may be genuine love, but it's not necessarily. And really what happens is that where, where genuine love truly comes to the fore is when it's an enemy. And they are not reciprocating the kindness. In fact, they are hating. They are making life miserable for you. Okay, so now what are you going to do? Right? And it's interesting that that's where the chapter ends, right? In our dealing with our enemies. Okay, so, so this love that is really this summation of all of God's commands. If you look forward just briefly to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, verse 8, we read this. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, right? So that command really gathers up all of the other commands. That's why I say this verse 9 of chapter 12 is kind of like a heading, right? When it's talking about love that is without hypocrisy, it's really gathering up all of these other commands and saying you're supposed to do this and it's supposed to be genuine, Verse 10 of chapter 13, love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law, right? And so, so the idea is that this chapter and the instructions that follow even to the end of the book of Romans really are gathered up under that command to love one another and God is challenging us that that love be genuine, not hypocritical. So if I am not naturally by nature loving, except, you know, to those that reciprocate, then what that reminds me is that I need God's help. That's part of the transformation, right? That he wants to bring about in me, right? That I would come to the place where I really truly can love my enemies. And it's not just a facade. It's not just a front. It's not just a, 
I know I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to do it. And I'm doing it on the outside, but I'm not doing it on the inside. Right? It's like the little boy that is told to go sit in the corner because he's been bad. I think I've used this illustration before. Right? And so he goes and he sits in the corner. And the little speech bubble, right, that tells you what he's thinking is, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's this facade. And he's saying, you know, God is saying, no, this love is to be the genuine thing. And so it's interesting that when Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, describes for us the fruit of the Spirit, that which God's Spirit produces in a believer, the first item on the list is love. Right? So if our love is to be without hypocrisy, that is not false, not a false show, not pretense, we are going to have to let God change us on the inside. Right? So that's something that you can pray about. Right? Is it the will of God that we love? Yeah, he just told you. Love genuinely. That's something that you could make a matter of prayer. Right? And we all would do well to make that a matter of prayer because we all have those in our lives that are hard to love. We do. Right? I mean, sometimes it's just I mean, as simple as personality, right? In other words, they're not really a hateful person. They're not really unkind. It's just, oh, they just grate on you. You got to love them. And you got to love them genuinely, right? And of course, sometimes we have people in our lives that really, truly do act as enemies to us. We've got to love them too, right? So let's ask the Lord to do this in us. A couple of uh, other passages that point us this same way. First Peter, keep your finger in Romans 12, but First Peter chapter 1. After reminding us that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, verse 19. He goes on and says, verse 22, so again, he's writing to believers, seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, notice, through the Spirit, unto unfeigned, that's our word, unhypocritical, Love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And so what is so interesting in that verse, again, you know, the Holy Spirit, just like in Romans 12, is calling us to this love that is without hypocrisy, right? And uh, what's so interesting in this passage is that the work of the Spirit of God and the work of the Word of God are brought right alongside of that, right? And again, notice 
um, that he's saying, okay, here you are and you've obeyed and it has produced, or the idea is it's begun to produce this unfeigned love. Then we're this ad- admonition, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And so it's stirring us up to more, right? And that's the idea that none of us can say, done, I mean, I'm there, right? No, we can always love more. And there are other passages of scripture that speak that same way, that our love might abound yet more and more uh, is the way we are directed. Uh, One other interesting reference, 2 Corinthians Chapter two, sorry, chapter six, and here you have uh, the testimony of the apostle Paul. Second Corinthians, chapter six. In this epistle, in this book, Second Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church. Uh, that was influenced by people who were false teachers, false apostles. He'll, he'll use that term, actually, I think in chapter 11, he speaks of false apostles. Right? And so part of what he's doing is sharing his own testimony, and the, by the things that he says, he's trying to show, to demonstrate the genuineness of his apostleship, right? And so it is interesting uh, some of the things that he speaks of to demonstrate that. Notice chapter 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, that is with God, uh, beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. And then verse 3. Here's his testimony, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Well, what does that look like? In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. So in all of these things, examine his life and you'll see a true uh, minister of God. And then he continues, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by love unfeigned. By love that is without hypocrisy. And he's saying that's one of the proofs that I am a true minister of God. This unfeigned love. So that, back to Romans chapter 12, is what we are called to. As fellow believers of the Apostle Paul, let love be without hypocrisy. What does that look like? What does genuine love look like? What does love that doesn't have a false front, a false appearance, what does it look like? Well, all of the rest of these verses are telling us what it looks like. 
right? So as we work our way through these verses, let's not lose sight of the fact that what the Holy Spirit is setting before us is, this is what genuine love looks like. So to the extent that I am not doing what the following verses call me to do, to that extent, I'm not loving without hypocrisy. Right? There's some hypocrisy in my loving to the extent that I am not doing what God tells me to do in these following verses. Right? And so, uh, again, that, you know, to say that all of the commands are summed up in that one word, love, is a very handy simplification. But we can't forget that there are many ramifications of that. Right? And it manifests itself in so many different ways. And these following commands and admonitions are all part of that call that our love would be without hypocrisy. Now, as we work our way through this, what we'll find is toward the end of this chapter, there is a significant section that... Um, calls for gracious humility towards all, including our enemies, right? So the, the last part of the chapter uh, really can be gathered up in that idea. It's, there's a humility in our dealings with others, including our enemies, right? Uh, so we'll deal with that as a section, but it's still under this idea of genuine love. Uh, but these other parts, though they they seem in some ways a bit disconnected, but uh, we can certainly make the common connection by saying and recognizing that these are characteristics of genuine love. Right? So to to truly genuinely love would have these characteristics. The first that is mentioned, again in verse 9, the latter part of the verse, we have a certain kind of regard for evil and for good. Right? So good and evil are set before us. If we genuinely love, right, the kind of love that is produced in a heart by the Spirit of God, what regard, how do we think about good? How do we think about evil? Well, the scripture says that we are to abhor that which is evil. And we are to cling to that which is good. Cleave is the idea of clinging to that which is good. So, genuine love, genuine love for God, genuine love for your neighbor has this kind of opinion about good and evil. It abhors evil. It clings to what is good. To abhor something, that's a very strong word. One dictionary defines it this way. To have a vehement dislike for something. To hate strongly. Another dictionary defines it this way, to have a strong dislike for someone or something, implying repulsion and a desire for avoidance. 
Another writer says that abhorring evil means pushing it as far away as possible, having nothing to do with it. Further, abhorrence is not necessarily tied to a feeling, but is an intentional action. In other words, it's not that you have to feel a certain way about evil. You've just got to have nothing to do with it. right? You've just got to push it away from yourself. You've got to, to, to despise it in that sense, right? So it's a conscious choice. It's not just an emotional response. It's an actual conscious choice. And it's saying, I hate evil. Why? Well, what is evil? It's what's contrary to God's will. So if I love God, I cannot love what's contrary to his will. That would be hypocritical love. You say you love God, but all the while you love what he hates. You love what is contrary to his will. You love what breaks his commands. You don't have genuine love for God, if that's the case. And uh, what is interesting, if you keep your finger here, but turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter five. And notice verse twenty one. Sorry, chapter four, verse twenty one. Then we'll continue into verse chapter five. So chapter four, verse twenty one. This commandment have we from him, from God, that he who loves God love his brother also. Right? So that's the first two commandments. We love God. We love our brother also. And then he goes on, uh, verse 2 of chapter 5, by this we know that we love God, sorry, that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Right? So when we think of God's commands, when we think of what he's telling us to do, when we think of his definition of good and evil, and of course a violation of his command is evil, right? we love that. And we think that that's not grievous. We, we're willing to do that, is the idea. And so our love for God has with it this characteristic, an abhorrence of evil a dislike, a strong dislike uh, of evil, something that we are wanting to push away from us. right? But there's a flip side, and that flip side is what's good. And back in Romans 12, we are to abhor that which is evil, but we are to cleave to that which is good. This word cleave, or some versions translate it cling, uh, 
One dictionary defines it this way, to glue together, to cement or fasten together, uh, to join or fasten firmly together. Another dictionary speaks of it to be attached or devoted to what is good, right? to cling to what is good. This is the same word that is used by the Lord Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, when he says, quoting uh, Genesis chapter 2, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Then he goes on to say, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so there's this idea when you think of the husband-wife relationship, God's intention is that that be a relationship where these people are just glued together. They are inseparable, right? And um, so that's the same term that is used here uh, in connection with our thinking about what is good. We are to cling to what is good. We are to hate what is evil, to abhor what is evil, and to cling to what is good. Now, this also involves that great transformation. What were we like before in the world? Right? Well, we, we are told in Colossians chapter 1 that we used to be alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked, same word translated evil, works, right? That's what we used to be. Alienated, enemies in our minds by the evil that we were doing. Right? That's the world in its rebellion against God. But now we are uh, commanded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, to abstain... From all appearance, that is, every form of evil, right? That's the abhorring of it. That's the pushing away of it. That's the transformation, right? And, of course, on the other side is this clinging to what is good. And Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, We who are saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. And so when we put the will of God to the test in the laboratory of life, we find that that will, according to Romans 12 verse 2, is good. God's will is good. And we are to cling to what is good. So we are to cling to that will of God. That's love without hypocrisy. Hating what's evil, abhorring what's evil, pushing away from what's evil, and clinging to what is good, which is, of course, the revealed will of God. Then our next verse in Romans 12 brings us into relationship with fellow believers. And that relationship is described this way. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. 
in honor, preferring one another. So we have two phrases here. Be kindly affectioned with brotherly love. And there's some overlap in those two phrases. Uh, The first uh, phrase, be kindly affectioned, uh, speaks of love or affection for those closely related to oneself. Immediate members of one's family, this term would be used in that sense. And so here we're looking at the family of God, right? Fellow believers. And there's to be this uh, kind affection, uh, loving, warm devotion, and affectionate care. And uh, it is to be with brotherly love. That's Philadelphia, right? So that kind of brotherly love uh, that is in view here. So our relationship with fellow believers is uh, described this way. Uh, So there is to be this affection, this uh, devotion, this service, this counting as family among us, and in the best sort of sense, right? Uh, Families, because they're made up of human beings, often have conflict and strife present, but that's not the will of God, right? And so uh, here, obviously, it's a call to uh, the right kind of family relationship as God would have it. That is set alongside of the next phrase, which really is all part of the, the right kind of brotherly love, right? And it says, end of verse 10, in honor preferring one another. This this will help make the first possible. So if we are to truly be kindly affectioned, if we are to truly have brotherly love, you can't get there without this, the second part. This in honor, preferring one another. The term honor is a manifestation of esteem, right? It's it's reverence, it's respect, right? So I I am respecting, I am esteeming one another. Um, another dictionary defines it this way. It honor which belongs or is shown to someone. It's the honor of one who outranks others, right? So in our thinking, we are to put others above ourselves, right? That's the idea, right? And again, the second phrase, uh, preferring one another. And what's interesting here is... Uh, the term preferring has with it, according to one dictionary, trying to outdo one another in showing respect, right? So it's this, there's an intensity here, right? So there's a race to the bottom, if you will, right? I'm wanting to put myself on the bottom. You're wanting to put yourself on the bottom. We're both running to the bottom, right? In that sense, you know, this, 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 lowering of ourselves so that we might serve others. And according to Jesus, that's greatness in his kingdom, is it not? Right? The great ones in his kingdom are the ones that are the servants, the ministers of all. 
even as he, the Lord and Master, illustrated in the upper room by setting aside his outer garment and taking a towel and as a servant washing his disciples' feet. And of course, that was hours before he laid down his life in payment for their sin, right? Uh, So he, the Lord Jesus, is the one who has served us all. He is the greatest but he was the the least among us, if you will, the one serving all others. And so that's the spirit, right, that we are called to. This this regard that we have for one another, this this, uh, intentional lowering of ourselves, not in in a false humility, but just in a get myself out of the way, right? It's not about me. Right? It's not, right? It, I'm here, and I'm here for you, right? To serve you and to, to be a part of your life and to help and to do whatever it is that God has gifted me and enabled me to do for your good, right? For your benefit. Uh, and, and really, that's, that's the kind of thinking that ought to characterize our families also, right? Uh, that within our families, let alone within the family of God, there's this attitude, kind affection and brotherly love, one to another. How does that happen? We've got to get out of the way. right? Uh, we've got to, in honor, prefer one another. So if we are in honor preferring one another, then we are taking the lower position ourselves. Uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And you find similar language here in Philippians chapter 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, so if we've come to God and we've found any of those things, which of course we have, Fulfill ye my joy, the apostle writes, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then you have the best of all examples, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this mind, this thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he's God. He's the creator of all things. And yet he was willing to take to himself creature. He became a human being. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. God. What condescension. Right? Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery, a thing to be grasped onto to maintain that position but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant 
and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Right? And folks, that's the kind of love that we are called to. Right? A love that esteems others better. A love that is willing to die to self. A love that is willing to take self entirely out of the way for the good of others. Right? That would be genuine love. Love that is without hypocrisy. Right? That when in our thinking, which is demonstrated by our conduct, we honor others. Right? And again, that that term preferring, just this idea of striving to outdo one another in this, to exhibit a type of behavior far above the norm, right, in preferring, in honoring one another, right? So the sky's the limit is the idea. Go for it, right? That we would just put others in that place of reverence and respect, that we would serve them with that idea. In closing for this morning, let's turn to one other reference in First John chapter 3. Okay, so Romans 12, in setting the stage for all of the following instruction, calls us to have love that is without hypocrisy. We saw that that would involve abhorring evil, clinging to what is good, to the will of God as it's revealed. That it would also have this in our relationship with our fellow believers, this kind affection, brotherly love, that is uh, made possible by our lowering of ourselves and serving of them. And in 1 John chapter 3, we have... Again, uh, uh, a number of statements that are teaching us about love. For example, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And then it says, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the point of Romans 12. And then he goes on with an example. Whoso has this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Right? You say you love God, here's this brother in need, and you are unwilling to act to meet that need, though you could. That's hypocritical love. And so then he goes on, notice verse 18, My little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hypocritical love says it's love. Genuine love shows it's love, right? By deed and in truth. So John also is calling for love without hypocrisy. Love that is true, right? And it is true and it's known to be true 
because it is doing as God himself did. It is laying down one's own life for the benefit of others. So may the Lord help us love that way. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for challenging us with these things. These are familiar verses, Lord. Surely we have read them many times. And yet, we've got to take them out of the classroom. We've got to live them. We need your help to do that. And so, Lord, we bow in your presence and we ask for your help. Would you help us do this? Lord, would you help us live this way? Will you work the fruit of your spirit in us that makes us willing to die to ourselves and makes us willing, Lord, to live our lives and to give our substance and our time and just our compassion to meet the needs of those around us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see in ourselves what you see. And to the extent, Lord, that we need to change, show us that and help us change. And Lord, we pray that you would help us in our interactions one with another, in the body of Christ in this place, but also in our families. Lord, help us to love as you want us to love that it wouldn't just be false appearance, that it wouldn't just be talk, but that it would truly be showing the love of Christ, the same kind of love that Christ had to those around us, and especially to those in the body of Christ. And so we pray for your help, Lord. It won't happen apart from your working But Lord, we would yield ourselves to you for it. We would ask for that working. We would ask that we could be taken out of the way, Lord, so that this good work would be furthered in us. Help, we pray, so that you might be glorified, so that others observing and looking upon our living see the glory of God. Because here is a life that is different. And it's because we are living for God. So help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.